It's time for Birding with Bat. Good morning, Mr. Bat. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're having the kind of day you, you all wish for. So it, Pat Ryan last week had said that he, uh, one in his family, had lovingly gifted him with one of those uh, uh, small feeders that you attach to the window with oh, suction cups. Yeah. And I have three of them in my office here. And so I, I watch a lot of times when I need to be working at a job, but I, I watch. And I had a blue jay fly into the feeder, and it selected a peanut in the shell, and then it flew to a tree. And that happens nearly immediately when I put them out. But it flew back to the feeder with that peanut still in its bill, and it dropped the goober onto the feeder. It just pretty much spit it out. <laughs> and took another peanut more to its liking. I don't think I've ever had a bird return food before. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking maybe the best if used by date of the peanut had expired. I'm guessing it was just too light, and the Blue Jay thought, that i got to get a better peanut, but maybe somebody else will want this peanut, so I'll take it back. But it, it was pretty cool to see. Blue Jays are just... Uh, endlessly entertaining and i just uh, i love seeing them and i know uh, they have a reputation oh for uh oh, being rascals i guess mark twain wrote about them but they they bring so much beauty and entertainment uh, nature gives me bearings and values birds brighten my days blue jays certainly do uh, new birdies headlights illuminated a recent morning here it was a stranger to my yard and it um, it was chestnut capped and white cheeked, mm. and it was slightly smaller than a house sparrow, and it was a Eurasian tree sparrow, and it was hanging around with a gang of those house sparrows in my yard. They are related species, but the bird was a lovely surprise. I'd not seen one in my county. I I'd not seen one in the southernmost tier or the northernmost tier. The northernmost tier of Iowa and the southernmost tier of counties in Minnesota before. Uh, in Eurasia, this species is widespread and abundant, and I've certainly seen them there. And I've seen some in this country. Is it generally rare small... to see them here, Al, then? Is that a, a rare? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And there is a small population in the U.S., and they're derived from a shipment of songbirds. Uh, bullfinches, chaffinches, greenfinches, linnets and Eurasian tree sparrows that were brought from Germany and released in St. Louis in April of 1870. And introducing the songbirds was meant to enhance the native avifauna and provide familiar bird species for newly settled European immigrants. The Eurasian tree sparrow population took hold. Uh, none of the other birds did. It was a failed experiment with them. But the Eurasian tree sparrows are now found in parts of Missouri, uh, Illinois, and southeastern Iowa, but they're fairly local. The tougher house finch, or house sparrow, the tougher house sparrow, I want to make sure I don't blame the house finch, the house sparrow is more aggressive and adaptable and may keep the Eurasian tree sparrows out of some areas. Uh, this little tree sparrow isn't a bird of cities. It prefers farms and lightly wooded residential areas and other more natural places than the house sparrow that we all know is home, very much at home with pavement and concrete. So this uh, welcome visitor found sustenance in the seeds from my feeder 
And I was as happy as a lark to see that sparrow. So uh, thank you, whoever was in charge of sending that my way. I appreciate you. Uh, Tyler Harms, he did a uh, Union Slough Christmas bird count. I'm not sure of the day on that, but it's done by Bancroft, Iowa. And it's uh, I rave about Union Slough. I just love visiting there. They saw a snowy owl there, and it's the first snowy owl ever recorded on that Christmas bird count. So it was uh, pretty neat to see that for him. Oh, uh, on a phone call with Gary Matthews of Anchorage, Alaska, Gary was the executive director for whatever the the state teachers organization is. He's told me like 500 times, but I have no clue what it was, so... But it's the the teachers group in Alaska, and he was the executive director for many years. And Gary was saying, boy, there's just not many birds around his feeders. Three chickadees. He says, I get three chickadees a day and a few ravens flying over and a flock of about 100 bohemian waxwings. Well, I perked up at that. I I have seen bohemian waxwings in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and I've seen uh, a lot of them in Alaska. They're just really neat birds. And the mountain ash berries are abundant this year, and that's what they're eating up there. So Gary's, I told him getting all those bohemian waxwings, you know, that should he should be happy with that, so I hope he is. Uh, Brenda Katasik of St. Peter said uh, she had 10 cardinals in her yard at one time and a rusty blackbird. And she sent me a photo of uh, of, some, of an eagle. It looks like a young bald eagle. She said, Hubby is driving us to Wabashaw and to Red Wing Tuesday. Look for eagles and other birds. We listen to you in the car when traveling on Tuesdays. So, well, thank you, Brenda. Jill Evans. Uh, Jill is from Mankato, said, Hi, Al. I've been meaning to let you know our Carolina Wren has been with us often. I mistakenly told you he had gone, but I realized he was here all along, but feeding on the spilled seed on the ground, which I don't look at much. Today he made his return to the actual feeder. The mild weather must be enticing, and she sent a lovely photo of the Carolina Red. Bob Idso of St. Peter said, I don't really know you, Al, but I feel like I do. Well, thank you, Bob said, uh, I once contacted you about 15 years ago when I spotted a snowy owl eating some roadkill near my house. There had been a fluctuation in their normal food source, either not enough lemmings or too many owls. You were also the keynote speaker at the Prairie Ecology Bus Steak Fry in Heron Lake one year when I attended. I got to meet you then. I was with my friend Eric Steinmetz. Well, thanks, mm. Bob. Eric is a, just a wonderful guy. Yeah. Uh, Barb Thompson. I had a long, long talk with Barb last night. Barb lives at the New Richland Care Center, uh, sadly because of a uh, disease, and Barb and I have been friends since, uh, oh, we were pups, I guess, and she um, looks outside a lot at night. They have bird feeders, and she has two skunks visiting under the bird feeders but are leaving no scented calling cards, so that's kind of a nice thing for them. Robert Watson saw a Carolina Wren in Mauer County. Tom Bovers in uh, Thomas from Faribault. He has seen a yellow rump warbler. These are all in Rice County. Yellow rump warbler, American black duck, sharp shin hawk, winter wren, and American coot. Diedrich Benz visited Freeborn County and saw a Cooper's hawk. 
Uh, Chad Hines in Nicollet County saw a Harris's sparrow, white-throated sparrow, song sparrow, and a rusty blackbird. Yeah, these little sparrows are so tough. I'm looking at a white-throated sparrow even as I speak here in my yard, so it's really neat to see them. Speaking of sparrows, I was going to say, speaking of sparrows, Al, you know, I put a couple birdhouses out, and I was so excited because I had just a plethora of whatever they're called, flock of sparrows that kept coming back, and all of a sudden I didn't see them anymore. Well, I noticed all the seed was gone, and guess who came and got all the seed? Um... The deer. A squirrel? No, the deer. Oh, a deer. Yeah, oh. so I had two beautiful, and I was so excited because I started getting birds because I had these two boxes. And I, I guess, I don't know, short of putting a fence around it, what else can I do? Because obviously yeah. they, they know where it is now. We have a uh, bird water that sits on a raised platform on the deck. It's a heated one, so it keeps the water open all the time. And Many mornings, it's completely gone, oh. and it, you know, who knows? I know a cat, the neighbor's cat, comes over and drinks out of it some. It may be a raccoon when they're up. Uh, when the snow was fresh, I could kind of track them, but now it's hard to tell what's going in there. But boy, they suck that dry. Can deer get and up on we, the deck? I thought maybe of putting the feeders on the deck. I have deer ever climbed I, up the I, steps. I, <laughs> I've not seen them, and when I used to have the water in another place on the ground, they would come in, and it would be as dry as the driest desert. They would lick every little bit of moisture was completely gone out of that by the deer. And, mm. you know, they, I guess they need water, too. And You were talking about the uh, last week about the house sparrow sticking its head in things. And, yes. Uh, I was watching one out here, and there's little uh, holes in the snow, and uh, chipmunk, I still have a chipmunk visits every day, and he runs through that hole. Well, the house sparrow went into that hole, a little female house sparrow, went right in that hole in the snow, and it was it was pretty neat to see. She just was in there for a while and then popped out like, ta-da. It was, <laughs> I, I hope she was having a good time doing that. Uh, Vicki Lauren, and Vicki, I, I think your last name is Lauren, it's L-A-U-R-U-H-N, and if it's not, I apologize, uh, Vicki's so nice, she said, uh, good morning Al, it's our day to sit with you and be informed and entertained, and that's what I, I do here, although I stand and sit both, and <laughs> I am informed and entertained by all you wonderful listeners and Karen. Uh, Vicki says, we look forward to it every week. Saturday morning, we were enthralled to see a sharp chin hawk land on our fence in lower north Mankato, then on a hanging chair and eventually fly up and around into our repurposed Christmas fo- Christmas full, I bet a Christmas tree full probably, of hiding sparrows and come out with breakfast. I'm glad, Vicki, you left the word out because, boy, I do that. I either leave one word out or add 12 too many. <laughs> Uh, Vicki said she stayed in the hiding place to eat until I got too curious and close. This is not the first time we've seen a hawk of some sort, but it was the first time we witnessed a bird in hunt. We at one time had a large hawk taking a bath in the big puddles in our backyard in March. We've seen remnant feathers on the feeder of a capture, and twice I've come home walking up to our front door to see a hawk fly out from under a shrub. I'm including a picture, but the hawk is barely visible because of reflections on our window. Thanks, Al, for being here. And, uh, Vicki, thank you for being here. Uh, listener, uh, I don't see a name, says, Why do cardinals arrive so early in the morning 
and stay so late at my bird feeders? You know, it's because that's when the seed prices are the lowest. Uh, those red birds never miss taking advantage of a sale. Uh, if you look at cardinals, boy, you know, we pick up on it right away. The male is a dandy. His red plumage is bright and distinct in daylight. It attracts attention, both wanted and unwanted. But his bright color diminishes in dim light, so that makes the male cardinals as inconspicuous as their mates at twilight and less easily seen by predators like cats and avian predators like cooper's hawks or sharp shin hawks are inactive at dawn and dusk. Uh, cardinals often live year-round near bird feeders and they have a short commute. They can stay later because their flight home is a brief one. So cardinals feed at dawn and dusk because they have less competition at feeders and low light as well. This means they don't have to wait behind birds who have clipped a ton of coupons. We've all been there <laughs> in the line. I am the worst judge, folks, at getting in the right line in oh, uh, grocery stores and things. Me I too. just, you know, I don't want to get in if I see little kids because I figure there is going to be a heaping cart or two ahead because you just. You know, they take a lot of uh, nourishment. So, <laughs> But then I get behind somebody like my sweet mother who would have this huge uh, billfold full of coupons. And then, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to be somewhere, but it's I'm just not good at that. Uh, somebody asked, uh, or oh, the same, same listener that asked about the Cardinals says, my grandfather used to talk about a jack snipe. What is a jack snipe? I don't see it in my book. Uh, the jacksnipe is a small wading bird. It's native to parts of Europe, Asia, and Africa. And I believe it's the world's smallest snipe. It's a little brown marsh bird with a long bill. And this country has a relative. It's the Wilson snipe. So if you see that in the book, it's, it's kind of similar to that. I've also heard a pectoral sandpiper when I was a kid called a jacksnipe. But I tried calling one that, and it didn't come any closer, so I don't think it's a proper name for a pectoral sandpiper. And I hope the dear listener hasn't been one of those lucky ones who went on a snipe hunt as a youngster, <laughs> and if so, I hope you're not still holding that bag you're supposed to stuff <laughs> with a snipe you'd catch. And I, I further hope they didn't drench you in snipe spit, which is purported to be a never-fail snipe lure. Did you ever and do that? I, Did ever, anybody ever send you on a snipe hunt, Al? Uh, they threatened to a couple of times, but I knew there was <laughs> oh. such a thing as a snipe because we, we had snipes. So I said, I don't want to go out and catch a snipe. And then it just kind of fell apart. And they were older kids, a few years older than me, and they were at the Bath Store, which was a uh, Bath was a small town with a population of, I believe, three that was pretty near our farm. And I'd go down there and play checkers with the old guys and just listen to old guys. They were like seniors in high school. And uh, then listen to the really old guys tell lies and stories. And it was just a wonderful place. But uh, a couple of them there tried to get me to go on a snipe hunt once. But I, I, I proved not worthy of their time uh, quite quickly when they saw I wasn't really going to go along with it. 
So if I knew who those guys, where they are or something, I'd jot them a note and just say, no, I'm really sorry I didn't go on the snipe hunt. It would, now it would have meant something to me because I could have said, oh, yeah, I went on one of those snipe hunts once. It didn't, didn't work out very well. And speaking of jack snipe, I get asked uh, oh, a couple times a year probably where somebody says, well, where does the name Sandpiper come from? And I... I remember walking down in the Gulf Shores in Alabama early in the morning and barefooted in that beautiful sand and seeing sandpipers and sanderlings and all these beautiful birds. So I expect, I suspect and expect both, that the derivation is due to a combination of a piping cry coming from a bird on the sand. So I just think that's how it's it's a sandpiper, it's a little bird piping from the sand. So I'm hoping that is the right answer there. I, I walked eight miles uh, the other day counting birds, and I'm proud of being able to walk and count at the same time, but I don't try chewing gum, too, because, you know, why push my luck? Yeah. It'd just be an epic fail. And it was a lovely day, folks, but a breeze found a way of intruding. It pretty much always seems to. And I've been told by those who suspect things that the wind here blows 364 days a year, 365 days on leap year, before taking one day off to catch its breath. And I, I certainly believe that is true. It. Uh, Oh, you know, we, there's a, certainly a lot of windier places, but uh, being in prairie, as a lot of folks around here live, you know that uh, pretty much the only thing that changes is the direction that the breeze is, is coming from. And the old joke when I was a kid, if the wind ever stopped, we'd all fall down because we were leaning into it. But uh, we've had quite a few nice calm days here in uh, this year. Uh, I know it's a short year so far, but it's kind of nice not having that because the cold, well, I don't mind the cold. It's the ice and the wind yeah. that uh, get me. If I could just avoid those two things, I love not sliding down to the end of the driveway on my shoes. You just kind of sit at the top of the hill, and you can just boom, slide right down. And then coming back up the drive some of the years with all that, the only way I can get uh, up to the house is to walk backwards and just circle all the way around the earth and come back here. <laughs> so I'm seeing a lot of Canada geese flying overhead, and I'll bet you folks are too. There's always a lot of honking. It's road rage in the air. They're just... Uh, no, they're just talking back and forth. Saying, Do you see that over there? That looks like a good cornfield. We could stop there. Why don't we ever stop there? You know, the other groups, they're down there. They're eating. Why don't we stop there? And when is my turn to be in charge? You know, I should be up there. And they're just going through all that that we'd be going through when we're in that station wagon. Do they still make station wagons at all? Not, I wonder. I think they call them, don't they call them extended SUVs? I, yeah, I don't really think they do anymore. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think the last one, and I'm probably wrong on this too, is like a Chevy Caprice, one of those big uh, land yachts. Yeah, that like you a boat. Get in there and you, yeah, you could get like 19 or 20 people in there easily, <laughs> and you yeah. just down the road you'd go, and then there'd be arguments the whole time about 
Yeah, somebody's touching somebody, somebody's breathing on somebody, somebody's looking at somebody, and why do I always have to sit in the middle? And it's, it, uh, So that's what Canada geese are doing. They're probably saying, why do I always have to be in the middle of the row here? Uh, and i got to be behind Farley there. He's so big and fat. I can't see anything when we're going here. All I can see is him, and it's not a pretty sight. And I'm sure that's what they're doing up there. My husband said I when watched. they were kids, they had the five kids in their family, so they had a big station wagon. So the, the others would fill in the, the rows in the car, and then he would sit. Apparently there was a little space behind the back seat, you know, where you pull up the, the back trunk. Thing yep. or whatever so he would sit kind of in that little space behind the back seat and sometimes they even forget he was there <laughs> so <laughs> in the way back yeah the way way back and then he could wave at people behind him and yeah i remember some of those old uh, wagons had that way back seat that yeah. faced back towards the road oh those were fun sitting in because you could you could just look at things and say, I wonder what that sign said, because you always saw the backside of everything, it seemed like, when you're going down the road, but I liked it back there. That was, uh, nobody could um, nobody could really holler at you or grab you or anything, because you were in a, a kind of a safety zone back there, and if they were yelling at you, you could just pretend you couldn't hear them, because they were... And they were in like a different area code from you, so. And then when you yeah, were, I kind of miss well, those old wagons. I was gonna say, and when you were on the farm, you could all, you know, back in the days, you could ride in the back of the pickup truck with your siblings and just sit back there and get the breeze, and it wasn't an issue. But now, you know, it is. It is a safety issue. But back then, we didn't think of those things. Yeah, we'd put the end gate down. And, yeah. And sit on that, and you'd bounce down the road, and why nobody ever fell off or anything? We just never, you never thought of it being. A, no. I, I think you don't think of it till you became like a parent, and then all of a sudden you're saying, <laughs> oh, no. "What were we doing?" Exactly. You know why? But everybody did it. I, I guess it was yep. never thought of as a dangerous thing, and that's just something kids did. And I remember uh, riding up in the loader on the tractor, uh, putting shingles on something, you know. And oh, yes. you think today, too, you know, who'd throw a kid in there? Well, back then, everybody would pretty much do that. And I, it was amazing, I guess, how few accidents, mostly accidents, seemed to happen in. Oh, silos were always a, yes. a big, scary thing. For or power takeoff well, shafts were terrible, too. Oh, gosh, yeah. I There was a, a guy who used to come into the cafe here, and he had two hooks. He'd lost oh. both arms in, in combine accidents, clearing uh, stalks oh, out. So. Anyway. I saw a coyote here. Its tail was curved to its body, and it was running down the road not far from the mailbox when I was taking mail down. And I've been seeing coyotes in their accompanying tracks because the mating season for coyotes or coyotes begins in January and lasts through February. And then after breeding, females search for dens where five to seven pups are born in April. So it was... It was pretty neat to see him or her. She didn't pay any attention to me whatsoever. Just ran down the road. So she had things to do. But it's it's a beautiful day, folks. Uh, get out there, and uh, I, I'm gonna actually go somewhere today because uh, um, uh, I have to visit the clinic for just a little thing. So one of the nice thing about having clinic appoint, uh, appointments during this pandemic is. It gets you out of the house. Anyway. Yeah, you got to sure. go down there and wander around and see people. And 
the bad part is I see all those people I know, but I don't know them because they're wearing masks, and I just I don't recognize them, and it's it's sad that I don't recognize them, and then I I stick out like a sore thumb, you know, a tall drink of water. So very often they'll say, "Well, Mr. Bat," and then it. <laughs> I have to hear their voice, and then it's hard to hear the voice through that mask. So it's oh, it's just yes. I guess that's the biggest uh, worry I have. I'm a pretty pretty happy, lucky camper. It's uh, nice. There's something about the reflection of sunlight from the Earth's surface is an important temperature control, and the percentage of sunlight reflected from a surface is called albedo. And generally, it sounds like an Italian mobster or something, but generally the greater the albedo, the cooler the surface because less sunlight is absorbed. And snow acts as a reflective blanket, and it reflects the sun's heat and cooling the overlying air, and it insulates the ground in winter, preventing some upper soil layers from freezing solid and protecting underlying vegetation from damage by severe frost. So snow reflects more of the sun's energy because it's white and more reflective than the dark ground. And I remember hearing about that in uh, probably college and writing a report where I made albedo into like an Al Capone thing. I probably got a D minus or something in it because it really didn't have. I, I always tried to make every question into an essay question and write a long response because sometimes I think teachers would just say, oh, I'm not going to read all this. I'd just give him a B and then I won't have to read all this. So It's a beautiful day to get out there and walk. As I said, there's no wind. It's just the temperature is kind. And I, I put my camera on a leash when I go for a walk because I love walking around with a camera. And I was thinking about... Uh, looking at mom's old photo albums and seeing all those ancestors that I had no idea who they were, uh, wearing a suit that's too small and a necktie that looks too tight and with a grim countenance. But I think I really fell in love with photos because of Ansel Adams. He was the iconic American nature photographer known for his striking black and white landscape photographs. And thanks to his artistry, I looked into another world via a Viewmaster made of Bakelite. And it was uh, oh, Grandma's era, they would have had the stereoscope, but I had a Viewmaster. And it came with little discs, and they were stereo photos. There were seven photos on each side of that round disc, and you put it in the Viewmaster, oh, yeah. and there was a little arm you pulled down, and you went to the next one, and oh, my goodness, Ansel Adams, he just he, he took my breath away. But I grew up in a household that had a camera. We had one camera, one car, and one telephone. It, the camera was a Kodak Instamatic film camera, I think someone had found behind a sofa cushion. And we incredibly, we didn't take many photos. There, there wasn't the need to take a photo of everything. There were no selfies. And I know you're not going to believe this. We didn't take any photos of food, not one. Uh, I, took a, yeah. I took a photo of a chicken egg once. It was an Easter egg chicken, a rockana or aracana, and it was a, a blue-green egg. And that egg became food. 
but uh, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But if we caught someone staring at another person, we proved our cleverness by saying something like, take a picture, it will last longer. We were smart, Alex, but no one ever took our advice and took a picture. Photos were for special occasions, family reunion stuff. Some folks like cold butter on cold toast more than having their photos taken. (laughs) So we had to put on our best bib and tucker, and we'd line up around a new used car, because if you got a different car, that was time to take a photo. And we scooched together so everyone could fit into the picture. And we had to get the dog in. We had to wait sometimes because the dog just didn't always want in the photo, but we had to all whistle and call till it came in. And if a loved one was getting to an age where we feared he or she might not live forever, everyone wanted their photo taken <laughs> yes. with that person. Yeah, we, we all got around and we just, oh, man. So, folks, today, if people start crowding around you to have their photo <laughs> taken with you, you might want to make a doctor's appointment as soon as possible and get to the clinic. I do want to thank you all for uh, for a wonderful last year. I don't know if I really did that properly, and I'm looking forward to this year of many, many good things and hearing from uh, such wonderful people as all you are. Before Al, and again, before you yeah. say goodbye, a listener texted in a question for you. So I wanted sure. to ask that today, since they're probably listening, has Al heard of or played a board game called Wingspan? It's a bird-watching game. You know, I've not played it, but I have heard of it. Oh, I have never heard of it. Hmm. it, I've heard that it's a wonderful game and uh, should be played, but I've not. So I I shouldn't comment much more than that because I really don't know. And I have... um, a couple of folks that write about bird things have sent me uh, things that they've written about it, and it was in all glowing terms, so which is a wonderful thing. And it's it's nice. I don't know that it'll ever replace Monopoly, which I'm guessing is probably still the, the big board game for a lot of folks. But thanks for bringing that up. Well, bef- yeah, I, I wanted uh, to ask you, because my husband Jeff and I are the coaches for the Wildlife Bowl for 4-H. So 4-H has like the the dairy bowl, the livestock bowl, the llama bowl, and they also now have a wildlife bowl. And so we're coaching that. So I'm trying to figure out, is there a game or some source that we could do that would be fun for the kids to learn about Minnesota wildlife? So I was thinking maybe to ask you, or maybe some listeners have an idea of something that would be fun. We've been doing it on what's called Cahoots online, where you do like a trivia and the kids apparently have something in school where you answer as fast as you can and and multiple choice or true, false, that kind of thing. So do you have any thoughts or sources that we might do for fun to learn more about Minnesota wildlife? You know, I don't know that I do, but I'm going to give it some thought. But I bet there's a brilliant listener out there that knows of one. And, uh, you know, I just took all our Trivial Pursuit games down to the Salvation Army store, so somebody will, will like them. But I don't know if there's a um, a natural history Trivial Pursuit games. I'm sure there's not one 
meant for Minnesota. I know there are various games like that that are maybe Albert Lee specific or oh. about the city and the area and probably Mankato, uh, whether there'd be one with wildlife or not. But it's probably one of those questions, Karen, where I'll be hitting myself in the forehead uh, later on saying, well, of course, there's this, but well, boy, if, I don't think of any. If you or anybody thinks of one, let me know because we're the bowl is coming up in March, and I've got a group of seven kids, ages, I think they're, I've got first grade through my son who is in 11th grade, so it's just a lot of fun to, and I'm learning a lot about wildlife and things in Minnesota as well. So, And these are 4-H kids. Yep, this is the 4-H kids, and apparently um, in a normal year they have 1,100 kids that participate in in these bowls not not just wildlife wildlife is a relatively new one of course the dairy bowls and the the beef bowls and those sorts of things are are pretty ingrained projects but now they're trying to get other kids you know that maybe aren't farm kids more involved so yeah and 4-H is a a wonderful organization does so much good yeah so anyhow thanks for for checking on me if you uh, for me if you find anything let me know Al. I will. Everybody get out there and do something wild today. Look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, for your wonderful company. All right. Bye-bye, Al. Bye-bye. Always fun to chat with Al Bat. If anybody does know of any trivia games that are Minnesota wildlife or nature kind of games, let me know. Or if there's some source that you can think that might be good, I'd appreciate it. It'd be fun to let listeners know, too. It's 1034, and you're listening to A Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at uh, KMSU Radio. We're at 29 degrees. It's warming up. We're going to get almost to 